Yeah. We're still killing you. D-Max still in bed. Welcome to Kill You With Truth. Friday pregame edition. We're going to make our picks today for uh, Detroit Lions and the Denver Broncos happening tomorrow night, Saturday night in Detroit. Big game for the Denver Broncos. Uh, we're going to break down uh, what to look for, what the Broncos have at stake. But real quick, Chad, how you doing, my man? What's going on? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm doing pretty good. You know, you ever since you sliced me on the nose with that sharp knife there, yeah, um, I've been recovering slowly but surely. Uh, yeah, man, it's Friday. It's a uh, game pick day. It's uh day before the game because the Broncos play on Saturday night. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to right. all of that this weekend. Did you watch the game last night, by the way, on Amazon? Merry Christmas from Amazon. You can leave your pajamas on. Jeff Bezos is coming down your chimney like ho. Oh, oh, I promised myself oh, that I would not spend more than two minutes watching that game. And oh. um, I, I, I actually was able to pull it off. It was on in the background while I was making dinner. Um, and that was as much as I saw. And the Raiders beat the brakes off the Chargers. The Chargers, I'm surprised uh, Brandon Staley did the halftime interview because I assumed he would be fired at halftime. Um, that was about as bad of a team performance, as uninspired, as unconnected, as all the words you want to put to a team that did not show up performance. Uh, yeah, so Brandon Staley is, um, I suppose, if he hasn't been fired yet, they're going to let him finish the season. But the it's clear what's going to happen in L.A. It's clear that he's done at the end of the season at the very least. Yeah, the Raiders scored zero points last week and mm -hmm. 63 points this week. Yeah. It just shows you how crazy the NFL is, how you can't bank on a team's last performance to indicate how they're going to perform this week. Um, Case in point, the Lions have been struggling the last couple weeks. Two out of they've lost two out of the last three. They've been turnover prone, and then all of a sudden, boom! They don't they protect the ball and win by fifty. You got to be careful of that. You don't get lulled into a false sense of security based on what a team's been doing previously. But sixty three to twenty one, the Raiders beat the Chargers. Both of those teams in the AFC West, and both of those teams uh, out of the playoffs. Uh, Raiders improved to six and eight, and the Chargers fall to five and nine. And so it's just the Broncos and the Chiefs there up at the top, and the Chiefs have a one-game lead over the Broncos. But I just want to talk about how stats can be misleading because you look at the, the game stats on this game, okay, after the fact. Chargers had 18 first downs. Raiders had 20. Chargers had 13 passing first downs. Raiders had 13. Chargers had four rushing first downs. Raiders had six. Um, third down efficiency, Chargers were 6-12. to 12, Raiders were 9-16. to 16. Total yards. Chargers had 326, Raiders had 378. Uh, passing yards, Chargers had 234, Raiders had 254. Uh, passing completion attempts, Chargers were 23 of 32, Raiders were 22 of 36. Yards per pass, 6.7 for the Chargers, 6.9 for the Raiders. <laughs> uh, the interceptions thrown, the Chargers threw one pick, Raiders had zero. And uh, the Raiders, Chargers were sacked three times versus one for the Raiders. Rushing yards, 92 for the Chargers, 124 for the Raiders. And actually, the rushing attempts, the Chargers had more rushing attempts than the Raiders, and they lost 63 to 21. So it just goes to show you, you got to make the right plays at the right time. And oftentimes, you look at the stats at the end of a game, and they're lopsided based on which half the stats were compiled in, right? Um, the Chargers seemed to have most of their yards in the second half when the Raiders kind of uh, took their foot off the gas. The Raiders scored six touchdowns in the first half, Chad. Yes. 
Yeah, and the Raiders scored on defense. And so that's that's kind of missing in that stat breakdown you gave. They had a, they had a big man touchdown. They had a pick six for a touchdown. <laughs> they had a lot of turnovers. Uh, they got a lot of fumbles as well. So when you get the ball and you score with the ball defensively, yeah, that's a huge indicator to a win. And those things don't necessarily show up upon the first glance at a stat sheet. All right, so both teams suck. Raiders suck. Chargers suck. And um, as predicted at the beginning of the season, uh, they suck. They suck last year. They suck this year. They're going to suck next year. They're going to suck forever. It's always going to be the Chiefs and the Broncos fighting it out here. You know, interestingly, um, this show goes up on YouTube. You look at the comments. And yesterday, Chad, you breezed through a breakdown of a work week. And I thought it would be interesting. And someone on the comments said, hey, like, go into a little more detail about what that what that looks like. Okay. A work week, you know. Uh so just for the layman not being able to be in there, what is involved in that? And it's a three-day work week, essentially, your Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Maybe a little bit different this week, going on the road on a Saturday night. But what does a typical work week look like? Break it down, Chad, with a little more detail. All right, so I'll, I'll start on Monday real quick. So Monday is where you watch the film. Typically, you're going to review the film, and then you're going to get a workout in and some kind of conditioning work in. And if you got some treatment needed, <clears throat> you'll do all that as well. So – it's purposely a short day for the players on Monday so the coaches can really start diving into the opponent <clears throat> and getting all that prepared for Wednesday. So Tuesday is typically the player's day off. That's where you do your charity events. That's where you get come in and get some extra treatment. You may have to do an extra lift or something like that, but it's typically your day off. So the, the coaches are there early, and that's maybe their longest day of the week without the players there so they can be prepared when the players show up on Wednesday with at least part of the game plan formulated. And, and so you've done some – sorry to catch you off there, Chad, but uh... – You've done some internships, right? Some some coaching internships. Were you part of that breaking down film and creating the game plan on a, on a Monday and Tuesday for a team? Yeah. So all these things that I've discussed, I have been a part of as a coaching intern. I did a coaching internship with Seattle, with Tennessee, with the New York Jets. Uh, those were during uh, fall training camp. I did a coaching internship with San Francisco uh, during the off season. So we weren't preparing a game plan then, but we were definitely breaking down film and creating game plans around fictitious opponents kind of thing. So, that so how much did they lean on? I'm sorry, I'm yeah, interrupting your train of thought here. Right. But how good, much man. did they lean on the brains of the coaching staff to try to come up with ideas? Or is it more just like, hey, I just want you to break down what coverage they're in, what their blitz package looks like, their different personnel groups? Or are they asking you? As a coaching staff, and I know you're an intern, so you're the you're the scum of the earth there. You were right. the lowly intern. But but obviously you had a lot of respect from everybody in whatever building you went to because of your pedigree as a football player. Did they want to know your ideas? Did they want to know what you think was gonna beat this team? Yes. Now, but there's also two different styles of game planning. There is the <clears throat> game planning style, at least defensively, of these are all of our packages. And this is what they do. So these are the packages we're going to have up versus, ooh, this is what they do. Therefore, this is what we should do. And that's a little bit of a philosophical approach to it. Um, so when I was with the Jets, literally, we sat in the team defensive room and we, after breaking down all the, you know, first, the four games of the opponent, um, then they would take the, all that information from the quality control folks, from the intern folks like myself, coaches, and they would take all that information and compile it and go, okay, well, on third down, these are their packages. This is what they do. And then we would sit there and look at the giant board 
of all the possible calls we could do. And they would say, okay, I like when we go with this four-man blitz. I like when we go with this five-man blitz. So they took, they were cherry picking from a previously established system. Versus in Seattle, it was very opponent specific. It wasn't like we're going to cherry pick from the things that we do. We're going to look at this opponent and we're going to draw up things specifically to deal with this particular opponent, particularly from a pass rush standpoint. So when I was in Seattle, I was a defensive line intern. So I had to give the defensive line coach a breakdown of the opponent's offensive line. I needed to show him, show them 10 clips of some of their best plays and 10 clips of some of their worst plays. So we wanted to figure out how we could attack each individual offensive lineman from a defensive line standpoint. So the, sch the schemes, the stunts, the pass rush games, all that were thought of based upon this clips I delivered to the defensive line coach. So who's the head coach in Seattle when you were there, Pete Carroll? Pete Carroll. And who's the head coach, you said, with the Jets when you were there? Yes. Uh, that was the guy, uh, head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, why is his name escaping me right Todd now? Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles. There we go. So there are clearly different philosophies there, right? Yes. Well, Todd Bowles is a, you know, both Pete Carroll and Todd Bowles are defensive-minded guys. Uh, Todd definitely has a very well-established system. He's a certain kind of a system defensive coordinator and play caller. All right, so right before we get back into the, the breakdown there, can I ask, has the ship sailed for you as far as being a coach? You did four internships. Clearly, it was a path you were considering. You got all this football knowledge, all this passion, all this – all this work you've done uh, and experience, are you going to be a coach someday? Are you just waiting for the right time? Or are you, have you, have you uh, just let that ship sail away? No, I don't think I've let it sail away, but it was on, it's on pause for, been on pause for a couple of years. I had uh, a breaking up of my partnership in my business and I had to take over the company and I was not in a position. The company was not in a position for me to leave and go play coach for a while. So I've been working ever since then trying to get my business into a place where uh, I can go off and, and pursue that coaching part of me that's still there. I still want to do that. I still love it all. I still love the breaking down of tape. I still love watching tape. I still love the football locker room and the environment of all that. The coach's locker room is a lot like the player's locker room. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of humor. You have a great time in there. So Busting balls, snapping yeah. towels, right? Pranking each all, other. All the 12-year-old boy stuff, we do it all in the coach's locker room as well. Except Except your bodies look a little different. <laughs> I remember so bad, one time. Bad bodies in those coaches' locker rooms. Let me I tell you. I remember one time after a game, body. after a game uh, <clears throat> on a row game, we were all, you know, in line for the shower. Because it was one of those, I forget where we were at, but it was, it was not not a great shower situation. So we were all kind of in line. And all of a sudden, I looked behind me, and uh, my coach, Steve Watson, was, like, standing there naked behind me. I'm like, whoa, what the are you doing, <laughs> man? I'm not used to seeing you here. I'm used to seeing my other buddies naked, but not you, coach. Could you put a towel on, please? This is uncomfortable for me. Um, my, you know, I'm not a, uh, <laughs> in my life, I've done some, some manscaping and it's best. It is, <laughs> in it is, my life, who does it, your manscaping? It is less based upon my own vanity and more upon seeing old coaches, you know, like in a locker room situation like Kansas City where everyone showers together. Coaches, players, yeah. trainers, equipment guys, everyone's in there together. Normally at home, you got your nice showers, everyone's broken apart, and you don't see that. But to see an old man with some long gray hair um, hanging off his body parts, I thought, I don't want to look like that dude. 
So let me clean myself up a little bit. So you trimmed yourself up, not for sexy time, but so you could not appear as old in the showers with younger men. Um, that's that's a different way than I than I put it there. But yes, I did not want to look like that old man in the shower. Let's put it that way. Yeah. You know how they have landscaping companies? They should have manscaping companies who come and really just do you upright. You know, they do like a. <laughs> A rhododendron hanging off the uh, the, the sack, and uh, uh, some vines going up the. Uh, the, the all right, forget. Yeah. It. I don't want to go right. too. This is not even our channel, right? I no. can't do this. This is not mine. I'm I'm killing you with something else here. All right, so that takes care of Monday and Tuesday. Back to that. All right, so then, <laughs> as a player, you show up on Wednesday, and that's when the game plan starts to get installed. You walk into a defensive meeting, an offensive meeting. And we're typically taking care of first and second down on Wednesday. Um, so all the different packages that come on first and second down, we are discussing. So defensively, we're going over what our calls are going to be to identify what they do. We're going to talk about to the players. Uh, a coach is going to stand up. Typically, a defensive line coach is going to stand up and deliver. This is our opponent's run game. Maybe the linebacker coach will stand up and deliver. This is our opponent's pass game on first and second down. Um, obviously, offensively will be the equivalent of that for the offensive staff as well. And we start to install that. We talk about what we're going to put in practice, what we're going to deal with. Typically on Wednesdays, a nine on seven kind of thing where you play the run, where you work on the run game. Uh, specifically, nine on seven is a drill during practice where there's no receivers involved. Uh, just the offensive line, tight end, fullback, running backs. And defensively, it's just the defensive line and the linebackers. Maybe a safety may be involved in that drill. But it's really fun We always did, uh, sorry, we always did nine on seven on Thursday. That was the Shanahan model. Thurs Thursday was the full padded day. Wednesday was just um, shoulder pads and helmet, no pants, and we saved nine on seven for Thursday. Thursday was the ultra violence. Okay, all right. Well, you know, I was operating under a different schedule, um, so I, but I can understand where that's coming from because it's nice on a Wednesday sometimes to install a lot of things, uh, whether defensively or offensively. So by Thursday, when you put full pads on, as you guys did you were literally able to hit the ground running and you had a, a good idea of what the execution was. You made your mistakes on Wednesday. So Thursday could be a little bit more of an execution kind of day. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, you talk about install, Well, what are you installing? You're installing your game plan. And for us offensively, 90% of that was plays. We already knew it was part of our playbook that we had already installed. And for me as a, you know, as an offensive player, I had been in this system for quite a while. I had played in a similar system in college. And so these meetings were extra fucking boring because <laughs> you're, you're literally reinstalling. You're reteaching me the alphabet. Right. I already know that B comes after A and that C comes after B. But you're going to teach me again. And I understand this is to beat it into your head so, you know, that you never forget anything and then you know what we're doing this week and all that but that's the 10 percent that's new that's the wrinkles that's exactly what you talked about earlier what the coaches have seen on tape and have come up with that you are going to use to attack the defense you're playing specifically this week and it could be based on a bunch of other things it could be based on tendencies that you've seen uh from them it could be based on stuff that you've done over the last four weeks intentionally one way to set up this change this week because you know they're watching those four weeks of tape. And so you're going to run these things a certain way, and then you're going to flip it on them, and they're not going to be ready for it because they've been watching tape and seen you do it a certain way. There's a chess game involved here. And for Sean Payton, he's good at chess. He's played a lot of chess, right? Um, checkmate. 
um, and he's got some experience with Dan Campbell. He was on the team, I think it was in Dallas, right, when they drafted Dan Campbell, and then he was brought uh, Dan Campbell on as an assistant coach. Yep. Um, and so yeah. how much does that <clears throat> understanding the, the coach you're coaching against going to help you in creating a game plan, Chad? Well, you're trying to create matchups for players on the field. You want to identify the weak fish as an offensive lineman. Who get do we that, want to get that lung butter out, man. Yeah, Just get it out. Still. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. I'm asking you some very next week. Still I'm, clearing I'm, it out. I'm asking you some really long-winded questions that are forcing you to negotiate the phlegm, and I appreciate you fighting through it. I am, man. Tough guy. Tough guy over here. So, yeah, so you, you're, you're identifying the weak fish. You're doing all those kind of things from a player perspective. Your players to execute against their players. But you also have to recognize that you are coaching against that guy on the sideline. And at some point, you want to begin to understand his philosophy. Overall, is he an aggressive guy? We've seen VJ defensively become an aggressive guy. A lot of blitz packages for VJ. So if you're going to prepare to play this Broncos defense right now, you better be prepared for a lot of aggressive play calls, a lot of blitzing play calls. We've seen inside linebacker blitzes. We've seen cornerback blitzes. So you have to understand what the scheme is. But what is this guy's philosophy? When it comes down to a crunch situation, a critical third down in a ball game, is VJ going to go back and have three-man rush and eight guys in coverage? Or is he going to bring five guys? I'd say right now the trend is bringing five or six guys for VJ. So now it's VJ. He's got to do some self-scouting. If he plays a coach or goes against a coach who probably has some familiarity with him, does he stick to his tendencies or does he try to flip the tendencies and surprise this guy by only bringing three when this guy holds in an extra tight end and a fullback to do an all-block play? And now he's got two receivers going against eight defenders back there in coverage. So that's a constant chess match between – head coach and coordinators trying to play to their tendencies, play for the best parts of their team, attack your team where it's weak, yet and still always have some kind of surprise wrinkle in there at the same time. All right, what about the other side of the ball? Sean Payton calling things for the offense. And Greg Dulcich back at practice. He may be available, maybe not. I don't know how you can count on Greg Dulcich now because of what he's been through. Um, but the, the Broncos offense, though they found ways to win six out of seven, have not necessarily been lighting up the scoreboard. I know that's probably been uh, flummoxing Sean Payton. He wants to get up there and put up touchdowns. He wants to have six touchdowns in the first half like the Raiders had uh, last night. Um, Aaron Glenn is the defensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions, played about 15 years in the league like you did. What do you know about Aaron Glenn as a defensive coordinator? Uh, Aaron Glenn has you know, been got criticized quite a bit. Um, but this year, obviously, the Lions have been playing well, so the criticism has kind of died down a bit. Dan Campbell fully supports Aaron Glenn. Um, I would say he's got some of that former player tendency where he's a bit more of an aggressive guy, uh, just like Vance Joseph is a former player. Uh, in my experience, former players versus guys who did not play in the league, uh, former players are just simply more aggressive. I think they recognize that in these critical situations, the more pressure you can apply to a quarterback, to an offensive line, to a protection scheme, uh, to receivers to read oh, it's a blitz, now they're in cover two, now I've got to break off my route and do that. If The more you put pressure on players to make snap decisions, chances are somebody's going to screw that up. So uh, Aaron Glenn still operates in that kind of fashion as well. So I would expect the Broncos to be dealing with some pressure packages, particularly involving Aiden Hutchinson, maybe the one of the best edge guys in the league playing out there for the Detroit Lions. Yeah, so scheme is one thing. The plays you draw, that's one thing. 
But uh, are your players ready to play? Are, are they ready to go? Are they going to play with the type of energy and intensity and confidence? Are they going to go on the attack? And your play calling does affect that. It really does. You know, we've talked about offensive play play calling and how that affects the temperament of the offense. If you come out and attack in the running game, it allows the offensive line to go on the attack and not feel like they're catching from the from the jump. Um, they can be the aggressors there. But ultimately, it's the players who have to go out there and win it and who have to absorb the message of the coaches. Both of these coaches, very good with their messaging. They've worked together before. They clearly have their teams believing in what they're doing. The Detroit Lions have a two-game lead in their division, the NFC North, over the Minnesota Vikings. The Lions are 9-4, and four, have lost 2-3. The Minnesota Vikings are 7-6, and six, but they play the Vikings twice, two more times. So this is a really big game for the Detroit Lions. If they lose this game and the Vikings win, those guys are tied at uh, – at, yeah, at – no. Wait a second. Yeah, 9-5 and five and then 8 and – then they'll have a one-game lead. If they lose two to the Vikings, they'll lose the division, right? Um, and so they know what is, what is at stake here. They're playing at home. They have to capitalize on that. They'll be ready to go. The NFC is a really interesting conference right now because you got three teams at 10-3, and three, Cowboys, the Eagles, and the Niners. And after that, well, the, the Lions are 9-4, and four, but <laughs> the NFC South, for example, Tampa Bay is uh, fixing to win that division right now. They're 6-7. and seven. Yep. And the Falcons are six and seven, and the Saints are six and seven. They're all tied up there. Uh, the Rams are six and seven. The Seattle Seahawks are six and seven. The Packers are six and seven. The Giants are five and eight. There's only one seven and sixteen in the NFC, and that's the Minnesota Vikings. Whereas there's six seven and six teams in the AFC. So the different divisions, uh, well, they're they're very <laughs> they're they're very different. All right, one one more thing I want to get into before we go, and I'm not jinxing anybody because football is a violent sport. Everybody gets hurt all the time. It's a very dangerous sport. But there's a clear difference in the health of this Denver Broncos team this year versus last year. Same players, just a whole lot healthier. What accounts for that, Chad? Uh, I think the tough skin that they got during training camp. We 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 talked about this ad nauseum last year with Nathaniel Hackett's training camp schedule and not preparing the guys. To play the to play well as far as the scheme, the X's knows and knowledge of the of, of the playbook, but also you didn't prepare their bodies to to withstand the rigors of the season. You've got to build up a tough skin to play this game. You can't just show up and run out there and run into another human being as hard as you can and do that 30 times in the ball game and expect to do that 17 games if you haven't built up your tough skin and honed your technique through padded practices to be able to do that. I agree, man. Uh, you got to practice football to play football. And Nathaniel Hackett came in here and was, I mean, he's freaking Camp Hackett, and he might as well have had a clown nose on him. And he sucks as an offensive coordinator, and he sucked as a head coach. And he set this team back a bit, and he made these players lose confidence, not only in their abilities on the field, but their abilities to stay healthy. Sean Payton, his experience is paying dividends right now late in the season. They're playing meaning meaningful games in December, um, and – the only way you can do that, well, it's, I was going to say the only way you can do that is if you play well in September, and they fucking didn't. They didn't. They actually didn't play well in September. They were one in five, and they turned this thing around. But a lot of that was because they have been healthy. And uh, so kudos to that training staff, the strength and conditioning staff, uh, everybody on that team for believing in the messages that uh, – the messaging that Sean Payne's given them because it's working so far. So keep this thing going. All right, it's time for us to make our predictions, chat. Okay, you got something to say? Real quick. <clears throat> yeah. Real quick. Okay. Thursday's third down day where you focus on third down your opponent's passing game. Yeah. Friday is a little bit more of the, the specialty stuff. Short yardage, 
goal line. <laughs> Backed up situations, all that comes up on Friday. So Friday is where you polish first and second down, you polish third down, you deal with these specialty situations. Saturday is purely a review day. It's kind of a walkthrough practice where you work on Hail Marys, onside kicks. You do all that as, as well as some other just general review. Saturday night at the hotel, you put a real polish on it from a mental perspective. You guys go over your first 15 plays as an offense. Defensively, we talk about how we think our opponent's going to start. We go over some of the new things during the week. And then Sunday, you kick off and you go kick some butt and you win the ball game. Love it, man. Thanks for the breakdown. Uh, the Broncos taking on the Detroit Lions tomorrow night, Saturday night, prime time. Sean Payton talking this week about, hey, if you're a good team and you're playing well, you're going to be playing in these primetime games, in these big moments with everybody in the country watching. And if you're not a good team, you're going to be playing at 225 local time. And so uh, Saturday night, Broncos and Lions, who do you got, Chad? Man, everything in me wants to, the Broncos to find a way to, to pull this one out. But the Lions have so much at stake. I, I think the Lions outside the last couple of weeks have been the better team all season long. I think Dan Campbell gets them going back in the right direction. Um, I think the Broncos put up a tremendous fight. It does not does not mean the Broncos suck because they lose this game. Uh, but I got this one, 23-20 Lions, and a close win comes down literally to the last drive or two of the ball game. I should put another cut, uh, cut on your nose for choosing the Lions over the Broncos, man. Broncos have won six of seven have held their opponents under 24 points to eight straight games. The Detroit Lions have given up over 26 points for five straight games and lost two out of three and are turning the ball over at a crazy clip. Broncos are going to win again. This one's going to be 27 to 17. That's it for us. Fun week, Chad, just you and I reliving the old days, man. Um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a blast. <laughs> I can't talk. <coughs> but uh yeah man we'll get d back me back next week and he'll be just like me with bad voice so yeah go broncos go broncos see you buddy